Hello and welcome to the Heads and Volleys podcast with me, Lee Dunn. Today I am joined by a fellow alumni of the US Soccer B license. We, we explored that fun environment together over a couple of meetings and both walked away with a wonderful shiny certificate. So my guest today is Chris Rogers. Chris, how you doing, mate? Good, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, excited no worries. Here. I'm really excited because you and I have connected a lot ever since our our license together. And I think it's, whilst you're on a course with 35 other people, you find some real good connections. And I think that we, we had some real good real good times together. And I think maybe the Welsh-English uh, clash was was a healthy one for us to, to have a good challenge in our experience. But I'm excited to, to get your thoughts and kind of meander through our conversation today in terms of what you're doing now and, and where you're going and, and the stuff that you're doing in the game. So give us a little intro, kind of what you do, where you live, where you're from. Yeah, definitely. Um, as you mentioned, I'm from I'm from Wales, so I don't think there's many Welsh people in the States. I think there's like five of us in the States. All right, so um, yeah, I, I'm from Wales, been here for 10 years. Um, right now, my roles, I'm currently in Los Angeles, California. Um, my roles are, I'm a head coach for U14 girls, now ECNL team, um, was a DA team. And I'm also a coach educator for... Uh, Cal South and U.S. Soccer. So I'm teaching the grassroots licenses down there. So the 9v9, 11v11, and then the D license. And then I'm also involved with the ODP program, uh, which encompasses um, scouting, training, and I'm also a head coach for the 06 boys. So on the ODP side, I'm with the boys. And now on the club level, I'm working on the girls. So I'm working on both sides there. Um, so that's kind of currently what I'm doing. I also have a small business called CR Elite Soccer, which is a little training business I have where we contract with some rec clubs, provide training, camps, skills clinics, and individual training as well. So that's kind of a summary of what I'm doing right now. Obviously, in the current climate, um, with the current situation with COVID, not doing a lot. I'm, I'm still working with my team through Zoom, but a lot of the stuff is shut down right now. So unfortunately... Do you find yourself at a, at a loss right now? And I think a lot of people are in the same shoes that you just mentioned wearing multiple hats, boys and girls side of the game, different levels of soccer, different kind of facets in terms of management and business as opposed to also being on the field. And then suddenly it's all gone. Nothing quiet. Yeah. It's, uh, I think, obviously, we've got we've to keep our players engaged online, on, on Zoom and whatever we're trying to do. Ultimately, we all want to be on the field. Um, one thing I've been telling my, my, my players is just staying positive because if we show up on Zoom and we're kind of like just kind of a bit like oh this is not great I'd rather be on the field then it kind of rubs off on them and they're like yeah we shouldn't be online we should be so I'm just trying to make it seem like we should be on their training because it's the only option we have so staying positive with your teams is really important and just coach to coach as well like speaking to coaches motivating each other giving each other different material um, just to keep players because I've been sending I've been emailing webinars to people and I've been getting stuff sent to me just to kind of like hey watch this this will be good uh, you'll, you can learn from this and just those kind of things along the way so I think that's helping I think there's a lot of value right now out there people all being in the same position and, and effectively having a lot of time on their hands as we just talked off air about filling that time with with valuable webinars or conversations with people and there's a lot that people are willing to share and I think the hashtag on Twitter is free coaching ed and it's it's so valuable because people are able to 
take away something from everything. And I think that's something that is really encouraging. And I joined in a, the hashtag soccer chat last night on Twitter. And I felt like I walked into a room with a group of friends because it's people that we're all in the same place for the same reason. And being able to connect with people in that way, I think is, is really morale boosting whilst we don't have our typical kind of ticks of being on the field and engaging with our players. Zoom is yeah. one thing, but my players are clever enough now and yours probably the same thing too, where they change the background on their Zoom and it looks like they're sat there paying attention, but they're probably off in the background kicking the ball around. So they're getting too smart even for Zoom. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah so funny. what's your um, your background into coaching? How did you get into it? Um, so I'll start back from in the UK. I, I grew up in Wales and I started, started playing there. I actually was a late starter. I didn't start playing proper organized until I was 13. So obviously oh that's God, unusual. What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I was a multi-sport person, you know, I was, I was doing, uh, I was playing rugby, I was in athletics track, um, tennis, even dabbled in basketball. My brother's a big basketball fan and he, and he, and he played, he actually represented Wales in basketball, so he was a good player. Wow. Um, so I was bouncing around all the different sports and then uh, what changed for me was the 98 World Cup. Remember the 98 World Cup in France, it just kind of changed my whole you know, I think I was 13, 14, and then all of a sudden then I started playing a lot more with my friends in the street, um, at the local parks, and it just went from there then, and then I started focusing on football. Um, then from there, I got accepted into um, Newport County's academy, so I went to an academy then at the age of 16, and I played in Newport, which is, at the time, uh, they were at the conference level, lower leagues of English of the English pyramid but still a, a, a good level um, played there for a few years in terms of coaching that's when I first really experienced my like a really high level coach in my in my mind where I learned a lot from from him and the staff there and then from there I went and played a little bit in the Welsh Premier League also continued to learn there at this point I, I wasn't really thinking about coaching so I was one of those players that wasn't thinking yeah, like when I'm finished, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a coach. It was, it wasn't on the cards whatsoever. It was just a case of I want to be a soccer player, football player, and I don't want to do anything else. Um, during that time, uh, I also had the um, the honour to represent my country. So I played for Wales at youth level at U18. Um, I got four caps for them. So uh, that was at the schoolboy level, Welsh schools, schoolboy international level. So that was that was good. Um, lots of experiences there, and then from there um, went to university. And then my university experience was was quite unique because I went there to study sports science, and over here I think it's more of a kinesiology degree. And I did that at the um, University of Wales Cardiff, and I was I was lucky because our coach for the for the men's first team. Uh, was actually Dave Hughes, who I believe now is at Aston Villa Academy, at head of head of development for Aston Villa Academy. Um, so he was one of my coaches there, and I also was coached by Ian Mitchell, who is the head sports psychologist for England national team. So it was I had had a, a kind of a new unique experience in terms of you know that coaching level. Um, Dave, Dave was actually on my course with me. So he had a playing career in the, in the Premier League, um, played for Cardiff, Aston Villa, had retired, and then he was studying a degree. 
So then he came in and actually coached us. So then in terms of learning, that was when I really started thinking about a little bit more about coaching. Still not totally convinced about that I wanted to do it, but I was really, I learned a ton then because I was 22 then. So obviously I'm getting to that point where I'm starting to think, okay, what am I going to do next? Um, so, and then obviously from there, I came across the States and, and started off with, with summer camps. Um, the summer camps were good. It was a great experience. Um, met a lot of cool people. And at this point, I'm starting to enjoy coaching more, but I'm not really appreciating the craft. I'm still kind of just trying to find my way in terms of what I enjoy about it. Do I, do I see myself doing this long term? Um, now that I think about how I feel about the game now and coaching now, and developing players, it's crazy to think that at one point I actually wasn't still wasn't sure about coaching because I love it so much now. Um, and then things just kind of went from there. Then obviously I took on some teams here, um, got involved with Cal South, uh, started taking my licenses, started off with a D uh, e license, which is the old e license, and now they've obviously replaced that with the grassroots. So I did the e license, the D license. Um, in 2014, 2017, C license. 2018, did my B where I met you in Kansas. Um, and then I'm currently on my A youth license. So we're about two thirds of the way through. So um, What's happening? Took a quite quick detour on that. I saw that US soccer had canceled all licenses. What's, the, what's happening for you in terms of the work that you put in and having already gone through two meetings for that? Well, the, the course is still on. Um, so the course is still on. We've, like you said, we did two meetings out of three in Casa Grande, Arizona. We were due to go back in, in May, which is in a couple of weeks. If we go, we're supposed to go back. That's being cancelled, which, which was um, predicted that was going to happen, obviously, with this current situation. So we have coursework online, which we're completing. I'm currently working on two pieces, which is a game analysis piece and a lead in the player piece. So an IDP game analysis. Um, we've been instructed to complete our, our, our assignments and then um, the instructors, the staff, they're currently talking about how we're going to proceed with the course. So we still don't know exactly how it's going to work. Maybe it'll be uh, presented online or it'll be just pushed back to a later date. So that's the current situation. I'm still on the course. Um, so yeah, obviously it's it's a... It's a new thing for everybody, right? So it's new for us, it's new for the instructors, it's new for the federation in terms of, I don't think it's, this has probably ever happened really. So, Yeah, it's truly unprecedented in, in so many ways. And I know a lot of people that are currently working through licenses and, and are facing the same sort of situation too. And some people that want to get into licenses and just now they can't, especially because licenses are canceled through to the beginning of the summer. So there's a lot of uncertainty where people are trying to excel. And I think that's why the free coaching education and things like the scores soccer coaches summit are so valuable because people can take away a lot of information. It doesn't give them a letter on the paper that may be significant in their environment, but they can take away a lot. So I want to ask yeah. you what you are. There's so many things that I could challenge you on really in terms of you call yourself a late bloomer. And the idea of being a multi-sport athlete and there's a constant argument about whether kids should specialize and when they should specialize. And I don't really want to go into that, but can you, I guess, what it, where, where do you stand on that in terms of your experience of having 
international caps at a schoolboy level from only playing the game several years or starting to seriously play the game several years before that? Where do you, and then looking at coaches that may say, you know, players should specialize. Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, I have, a, I have an opinion. Obviously, I've, I've lived through that experience. So obviously, my, my opinion is that you don't have to play soccer from six years of age and just play that only sport all the way through. That's because of my experience. Um, is that to say that if you're a kid that does decide to do that, you can't play at a high level? Of course you can. And of course, it's going to help you because you're, you're developing those fundamental skills from an early age. Uh, one of the questions I ask myself is if I had specialized early on and really watched the game more and worked on my craft earlier, where would I be? There's no guarantee that if I'd done that, then I would have actually played at a level that I played at. Right. Maybe I would have got to a point like, say, age 12, where I would have, where I would have thought, I actually don't enjoy this anymore. And I'm going to play rugby or I'm going to play tennis or whatever. So there's all these different factors to consider in terms of the psychology and, and how the environment is. For example, if you get put in an environment where it's not enjoyable, maybe you don't play or you decide not to play anymore. So I think for me, just multi-sports, I'm, I'm a fan of it. I did it. I played, as I said, lots of sports. I think the benefits in terms of learning the different motor skills, um, decision-making, um, different kind of athletic movements. I think for me, I'm, I'm a fan of multi-sports, but I'm also saying that I don't think you have to play multi-sports. I think if you're a soccer player and you play all your life and that's all you want to do, I think it's okay. But I think to, to say that you shouldn't play multi-sports and you have to focus at like age 10 on soccer, I don't agree with that personally. So then what would... Do you, do you know even what your secret was for success? What, knowing that you, it can go both ways, there is the multi-sport track, there is a single specialization track. Do you have like a, a secret, something that worked for you, something that stuck and, and encouraged you through to, to get to the level that you got to? For me, it was playing a ton outside of the environment, the structured environment. Okay. So although I started later in an organized league, I was playing, and again, this, is a, this could be a whole other podcast in terms of culture and playing outside of your environment, but I would play four, five, six hours a day, just unorganized pickup games where I'm just playing and loving it and enjoying it. And then that connects to the fact that you're watching the game. So you're watching the game and then you're like, you see a goal by like Thierry Henry or Ronaldo, or Brazilian Ronaldo, and then you're like, I'm going to go and try it and you may mess up like 50 times, but you're trying these things. Nobody's telling you, hey, yeah, that's wrong. I seen crack. No one's yelling at you. You're just enjoying it with your friends. And that was a massive part for me. Um, so just playing a ton and always enjoying it and just feeling like, feeling like you can just go and enjoy the game. So I found then when I got picked up at a higher level, even though then there was structure, I was, it was appreciated what I could bring in terms of just that creativity. If that makes sense. I feel like you had a foundation and that yeah. viable then, right? You've got the skills or you've got the, the, like you said, the creativity. And then a coach can say, I want you to put that into this part of the field. I want you to put that in here. I want you to whatever, if there's a game model or a, or a certain expectation or a style of play, this is what we expect of you in those moments. Exactly. For example, I was, I was, I was a wide player, a left, a left winger. And, um, when I went to the, first, the academy I got selected to, it was, I was very raw 
think raw was a, a good word when I was just, you know, like I said, I play a ton. I, I, had, I had skill. I was, I was fast on the ball, but I wasn't a, I was by no means like, you know, a complete player. So when I went there, they really taught me just the tactical side of it, like defensively shape, like tactically where you should be when the ball is here. And that was when I could pick that stuff up. And then once I started picking that stuff up, then my game went to a, a higher level again then. Because then my, obviously the technical ability was there. Um, so it was just a case of, yeah, just fitting into that team, team setting. So let's go back to the, the B license and knowing that the education pathway is something that people talk about a lot, whether it's, a, it's cost prohibitive or whether they can't get into licenses or situations like this where they're not available or whatever the, the situation is. But you've, you're now through onto the A license. Every, it seems like every year or every year you've been taking another step up the, up the ladder because this is what you want to do. This is your career. So what are your... What are you, what's, what's your experience been? What's your biggest takeaways or what are your biggest takeaways from, from coaching education? Uh, biggest takeaways, um, things that I liked in terms of how they've restructured the courses. Uh, since they restructured the, the courses in terms of the methodology, I've taken the C and the B and on the A. So they, they, they incorporated the six tasks of a coach, which you'll, which you'll be aware of. Um, obviously, um, adding those in gives the coaches a kind of just bait, right off the bat an idea of kind of the things they should be doing as a coach. Mm. So I think that helped me and, and it sounds obvious, but you kind of realize, well, okay, there is leadership. I have got to lead my team. You know, I have got to coach training sessions. I have got to coach a game. And, and I know I'm, this sounds really obvious, but it kind of structures it in a way where you can look at the tasks, um, give yourself a, a score in terms of where you're at um, self-evaluation and then, kind of work at those tasks. So I really like that part. Um, I love the fact that the courses are candidate-centered. So the, the courses are geared towards the candidates, interacting, uh, driving the course. Yes, you have the instructors there, but um, a lot of, as you all know, when you're on the B, a lot of the um, presentations and field stuff is, is through the candidates. So that's good as well. Um, moving towards more of a reality-based methodology. So making it look as much like the game as you can. I'm a big fan of that. Um, again, we could probably go on and talk about technical application and you know technical drills versus um, game realistic exercises. But I, I do like the fact that a lot of it is about you know the game, taking the game um, situation at MV11 and then bringing it back to the to training session. And um, like I guess the task of the coach. And then for me, the leadership side, understanding that you are there to lead a team, lead individual players, um, keeping track of their progress, IDPs, individual development plans. So those are the main takeaways, things that I liked. Um, Let me ask you, you made a, made a really interesting point about um, self-evaluation and the theory and the old school approach to licenses was, this is the model. This is how you do it. You say these things in these moments and that's your pass. You are effectively coaching to the, to the, um, the score sheet, if you like, that once you hit 80 points out of 100, you're going to pass your license. So if you say the right things, if you do the right things, you're going to pass. And you, you're basically, it's like a driving test. You're driving to the, to the standards of the test. And then once you pass, you're, you're driving with one hand with one foot out the window. So then in terms of 
coaching, you mentioned self-evaluation in my experience and, and I'd be interested to know if yours is the same, that the experience has been that I did this session, I delivered this session or I approached the session this way because, and this is why, I'm using the task of the coach and explaining why I'm running a training session this way. Then I'm going through the, the W's and I'm going through the toolboxes and really explaining why I'm doing things that way. And my experience was that there was no right or wrong answer in that, but it was all based on self-reflection, self-evaluation. So that somebody would say, why did you do this? Or why did you do that? And if you can defend it and you believe it, or if you're open-minded and you say, actually, that's a really good opinion, that to me was some of the biggest takeaways. Is that something you experienced? Yeah, yeah I'm glad you touched on that. I mean, the, the part where you're saying, why did you do that? And then obviously defending why you did it and giving a reason. And then what I like is that my experience with the instructors is as long as you can give a reason why you did something, I decided to go 5v4 instead of 5v5. Why? Um, because I, I thought this would bring out this topic or this would be the player behavior based on that setup. Okay, I like the answer. Great, let's move on. I think that's a huge part. And then I think you mentioned uh, a big thing now in, in, in the whole of soccer and other sports is self-reflection. So that piece is huge. And again, something before I started this new methodology was I, I wasn't I wasn't self self-reflecting at all, honestly. I mean you would you would self-reflect in your mind, but you wouldn't actually make it a um, part of a regular habit and a process. Which you'd leave now the field and say, oh that was terrible and then you just move on yeah. and think about yeah, why. You, you just go home and be like, that was a bad session. Um, why? Oh, because I didn't have enough space or whatever. You're just kind of like <laughs> rumbling off things. Whereas now you can really um, kind of sit down and just say, okay, what was I trying to accomplish? Why did it not quite go as well? And be a bit more clear-minded with it. And then obviously moving on from that, you have, if you have a mentor, somebody you're working alongside, then that's another part again where they can give you feedback and then you can kind of collaborate in that way. So I think that's a, a big part of it as well. Let me then now with your experience, you're now educating too. So running grassroots licenses through to the D license. What are you knowing your takeaways and your experience in coaching licenses? What, what are you bringing into your classrooms or into your environments for those participants to take away? What are your biggest aims for them? Uh, well, the methodology is different at the grassroots level. So to the, to the CBNA. So there's things that obviously transfer across in terms of my experience, how I can help. The first thing for me is to, make sure I'm getting across the new methodology, which is the PPP, which is play, practice, play. I'm sure a lot of people have, have heard of the methodology. So that's the, the obviously something you have to deliver in terms of explaining it and showing, painting a good picture of how it works. So that'd be the first thing. Um, I think a passion just to go away and develop and want to continue to develop their players and putting their players first. I think that's a big thing is, you know, the players are the center of the session. You know, it's player-centered. It should be player-centered, in my opinion. And then when I think about my experience on my licenses, obviously there's a lot of information being thrown at you, right? Like there's a new methodology. There's tons of conversations, lectures, presentations. There's a couple of things, though, that you'll take away where they really resonate with you. So little ideas. So they may not necessarily be on the PowerPoint or something that is official, or maybe just something from experience that you mentioned to a candidate, hey, next time, maybe try this. Those little conversations that you're having that 
can help, and it could be just something small. Um, for example, how to pull a player out individually in a session and have little questions to engage the player and then send them back in so that you know they can affect their player behavior. Just little things like that where little little tricks of the trade, I suppose. Um, I find those are some of the biggest takeaways for myself included, but also a lot of coaches where it's the, the things that you say that you're not trying to help. And I mean that in a way of saying like that, oh, you could try this. Have you thought about that? And that just that little twig has resonated with someone so much. And I think that's one of my favorite things about coaching environments too, is that you sit with people that you would never normally sit with because you sat with other coaches from other clubs, from other parts of the country even, or even parts of the world. And the conversation inevitably moves on to what would you do here or what do you do in these moments? And those are, are so valuable for so many coaches to, to hold those conversations. And often I find that's where I get some of my biggest inspiration. And so I guess that's kind of where I'm going with that in terms of, you, you want people to take away stuff, but do you, do you encourage or how do you facilitate a lot of that kind of peer-to-peer learning? Uh, peer, peer-to-peer learning is obviously a lot of the, the teaching, teaching method in terms of group work, pair share, groups of four. Okay, um, five minutes, talk about your environment. What does it look like? All the stuff that comes out of that is, is obviously it's obviously awesome in terms of your learning. Cause like you said, you're not learning from just three instructors or two instructors. You're learning from 24 candidates, 12 candidates, however many is on the course or in your group. So I think um, that was something I was going to mention earlier when we were talking about my A and my B when we were in the, in Kansas on the B license, like the amount I learned off the candidates was just, you know, it was just, it was just awesome. Some of the takeaways. Um, so yeah, I would say just in engaging the candidates asking questions, having them drive the process, um, but also being there to, as an instructor to lean on when they need you and, and understanding when it's time to step in because obviously you are there to pass on knowledge and experience and methodology as well. So, um, And I imagine that question of kind of challenging them on what they want to take away is, is a big thing for them knowing that they can't swallow the entire presentation and they can't swallow everybody's opinion on why they do things in certain ways. So really handpicking what, what makes sense to them in their own environment should, should be high for them. Yeah, definitely. Um, apply it in their environment, which is again, another good thing about the, the courses is that this is trying to make it applicable to your environment. Um, and then one thing I have here that I wanted to talk about was just the self-reflection piece. We just talked about in terms of, us as coaches and instructors, but also the candidates coming in, self-reflection, you know, going away and understand that you need to self-reflect on your sessions and that's how you're going to get better ultimately, you know, because otherwise you're just mm-hmm. going to keep going through your sessions and be like, oh, it was okay, it was okay, it was a decent session. Self-reflecting and really being honest on did it really work? Um, I think that's a big thing for them to take away as well. I would um, say it's really, it really, I guess, shocked me when as we finished our B license, learning that the instructors were then staying in Kansas for another two or three days to go over their performance during the license and then reflecting on how the process went and reflecting on what they can do for the next round of licenses. And that really kind of shocked me. And I think people may also be surprised to hear that because the traditional, I guess, 
belief of instructors is that instructors know everything and it's their way or the highway and they just walk into a room share their knowledge and then they walk out without a second thought but even at the the top end of the licenses the instructors are being challenged to reflect and to grow also and I thought that was a really humbling experience that they are still effectively in the same position that we are as candidates, as them as instructors. And the same thing for you now. You are still a candidate and also an instructor at different levels. It's so the, the self-reflection piece is just so valuable that not enough people spend enough time on it. Yeah, like you said, you're, you're role modeling. You've got to role model like what behavior and, and show that you're, you're open to feedback and um, self-reflect. Like you said, the instructors meet in at the end of the course in between meetings and... Um, I think my experience now on the A license, uh, my instructors have had conversations with my instructors and I feel like they've taken things from, from me, like in the conversations, oh, that's a good idea. And I, I see them making notes and you're like, oh, they've actually taken that notes <laughs> from me. So, you know, um, so that kind of makes me think, oh yeah, everyone's, everyone's kind of moving in the same direction together. So it's definitely changed, I think, um, with the last couple of years for sure. So I think the um, environment around it is <clears throat> definitely not, not the same as what people believe it to be. And it was that old school approach. And now it's, it's definitely, I guess you'd call it new school, but really about this self-reflection. It's your own journey and it's your own environment that matters and not necessarily a, an instructor that believes you should be playing the ball into a certain space all the time. The biggest thing for me is the idea of, of a coach's toolbox. So the idea that they have a, a wealth of tools available to them that many probably don't even realize they use or many don't even realize that they have available to them that can work in so many different ways. So will you just give us a, an introduction of what the coach's toolbox is and we'll kind of work from there. Yeah, um, it's kind of how it sounds, but it's just kind of um, the tools you have as a coach doing a session or doing a game, just kind of mainly doing a session where you can step in and intervene and interact with the players and get it, get your points across. So, um, obviously, a, a lot of the coaches listening uh, would have heard of the examples that from before. So, uh, one of them would be guided questions, for example. So, um, guided discovery, asking the players questions. Um, obviously, they can go in different complexity, the questions, uh, to engage the players and encourage decision-making. Um, I think with, with going on guided questions, there's something for me that I'm really interested in. It's probably at the moment, it's one of my go-tos in terms of my own style. When I'm, when I step into coaching, I do like to ask players questions and, and guide them through the process because I want to create that, um, the decision-making and autonomy within the player. And one thing I would say with that, it, it really does make you think about your questions, constructing your questions. I was just going to ask uh, you for an example. An example? Okay, so um, let's say I step in and I, I stop the session and, you know, the ball is with the midfielder in the middle of the field and my number seven, who's my right forward, is in a narrow position. Okay, so they're in a narrow position where they're not, they're not wide and I'm going to say, okay, so obviously um, I could ask the player, I could say, Lee, okay, where can you, where can you go to provide width? for my team, for, for your team. Obviously, I've given you the answer already, right? Yeah. So you're going to go wide because I've said, where can you go to provide width? <laughs> so maybe, maybe I can ask um, in that situation, 
to, to spark the decision-making of the player or making their own choices. Okay, Lee, the ball is here. Where would be a good position for you to go to support your, the player on the ball? Now you've got to make the decision. So now you may look and, and say, okay, well, the spaces are wide. The defender's inside, marking the space inside. So let me get myself on the touchline to create. So they've made the decision. You've kind of guided them to that answer. Um, so that would be an example. Um, and what so if the player that, says, uh, I'm here because I think I'm in the best position to support? Well, uh, yeah, that's a tough one because um, obviously you could ask them why. You know, why do you think that's the best place to support? Um, obviously, if they if they move into a position um, where you don't want them to go or where you didn't think you wanted them to go, then obviously that's the skill in the, in the coaching in terms of your next question. Okay? So maybe you can run through a demonstration where you play the ball and say, okay, what's going to happen now if I play this past you here? Oh, now I haven't got much space and time or I could lose the ball. Okay, so let's try that again. Where else can you go? So just trying to work through it there. Um, like I said, like the question you just asked me there was difficult. It's tough. Like it's difficult, <laughs> it's difficult to navigate through. And um, I think um, just going back on the coaching licenses, when you put in that situation on the licenses, is definitely, especially in front of everybody, that's tough too, right? Because then you're just like, you know, you kind of want to just give the answer. So I think um, just being patient. And, but then that brings in the whole conversation of how long should you be in there having this conversation with a player? Because <laughs> we want to be in there and we want to be concise. And we want to get out and let the game flow. So it's balancing that. And that's kind of why I brought that up as the first one is the guided question, because I think it's a real skill. I think it's, I'm nowhere near the level that I should be at or I want to be at for that. But it's something I'm always trying to um, improve. So, but being aware of that, knowing that the questions they can they can or they can they can pull out all sorts of answers. They can they can initiate all sorts of conversations. And as you say, if 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 it's a conversation of well, why are you standing there? Where else could you be? And what happens next? Then yeah, now we're taking two or three minutes. And imagine the goalkeeper if he's shooting on goal. The goalkeeper's hanging off the crossbar at this point because he's just got nothing else to do, and he's swinging his legs and he's having a great time. And so even knowing with the amount of hours that you've put into coaching and the amount of experience you have in the various levels that you're still able to reflect and say, this is something that I want to improve as an individual. And this is something that I am helping people to learn or to grasp as well. I think is, is so key and something that is hopefully encouraging for everybody that nobody ever really has this tool down. There's not, and that's one of many that I hope we, we will get into exploring. And I want to back up the idea of guided questions by talking about a tool of sharing expectations or sharing even just the session with players before the session. So typically I feel a coach would download a session from pepguardiola.com and say, this is how he works with Man City. So I'm going to work with my U14 girls and then I'm going to go and hopefully do it. And there's a lack of understanding, I believe, probably from the players and then also from the coach on how to deliver it in a way that makes sense and makes it successful. But how do you then, or do you believe or support the idea of sharing that with players beforehand? So if you were doing the 5v5, 5v4, and then you send that to your players beforehand and said, or even the week before, this is what we are working on. 
do you do you think there's some value in that? Do you think that might help in situations like that? So that your guided question may now be, what did you see in the video or what do we have in our game model that might tell you about a better position? Definitely, yeah. I think you're basically giving you a session ahead start. So you're prepping the players with information. Um, they may not take all of it in and they may not be like, you know, an expert at that session or that's that the coaching points, but they have a head start. So then you still construct the structure, the session or deliver the session in a way that you wanted to originally. But now you may see a bit more engagement and understanding that will spark, spark off, you know, your guided questions. Um, and it may have the session move a bit faster. Um, not that you want to rush through, um, sure. but you want to just kind of, Maybe there'll be some simple points that if you hadn't sent the session out beforehand, maybe you would have spent longer on certain points. But now, because you've sent it out, some of the fundamental understanding may be there. So now you can kind of push them a little bit more and challenge them more in terms of the complexity of what you want to deliver. I think there's a like a keep your cards close to your chest from coaches that this is my plan and they're going to find out when they get to the field. But there's nothing worse than when a player says, coach, what do I do when I get the ball? Because you've forgotten to tell the defenders what they do when they get it. If you've not included some sort of game element, so what do I do with it? What, what? And then also when, you, if you do some sort of practice, it still surprises me when players are like, Oh, I know this one. I know this one. And it, yeah. it's, it's a five V five in some sort of variation. And so where do you stand on the complexity or even just the, the reoccurring use of, of the same sort of session setup? Uh, players like familiarity. I think they like exercises that they know because um, like you said, they can get excited about it. They understand how it works. Um, they can relate to it and they can, I think it helps them to brainstorm together as well because they're like, oh, we did this last week and they can chat amongst this, each other in terms of how they're going to accomplish the goals or play as a team. So um, I think the structure, yeah, I think the familiarity is, is good. I think there's a balance though. I think a balance between not making it too repetitive to the point where oh, we're at practice again, it's the same exercise and it's the same. So I think that's, a big piece too is is knowing when the right time is to maybe step in and do something different, sure. a different setup, just to kind of. I think I think definitely with with um, the youngers in terms of when you're structuring your session, um, from from practice from exercise to exercise, just making sure it keeps them engaged and changing it up. But I think familiarity is we all like kind of structure, but every now and again I think it's good to just throw something different and go. Okay, now we're going to do it this way. You know, so like you said, you use an example like maybe 5v5s, 5v4, doing a lot of small sided games. And then, okay, this week we're going to do 1v1s. Like a lot of our session is going to be based in the, for the most part on a 1v1, 2v2 um, and just different scenarios. So I think to answer your question, I think a balance of both. Um, oh, way to sit on the yeah. fence. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so let's go. Back to the B license, we had a model instruction or a model session from our instructors, and it led to some, I want to say confusion, and to the point that the B and the A, from my experience, they stopped doing model sessions because people would go back to the old driving lesson analogy or driving test. They would see that and then just copy it because that's what the instructors did, so that's what they think they have to do. 
And so there was the idea of stopping the session and then pulling the team together. So there's a blue and a red team that you, it's a 5v5 blue and red team. You pull, for example, you're working with the blue team, you pull the blue team together and then have this mini team talk. What do you, where do you stand on that? Do you, as a part of a coach's toolbox? Um, so I would start with my last point, which I have here, which is about, it's a time and a place. So the skill of the coach is recognizing which part, which part of the, which tool to use. So I think it's okay to do that. Is it okay to do that every single break in your session? Probably not, in my opinion, because then you're obviously uh, disrupting the flow of the session. Um, players are going to lose, lose a little bit of engagement, and they're also you cut, you're not painting the picture. So every time you bring a, a team in, you're losing the picture. Mm. Now, you can obviously get a tactical board and paint it in that way. I think you can't take, you can't take the place of the actual being on the field and feeling the position of the field and seeing the ball moving and seeing a, seeing a demonstration or whether that's through the coach or the player. So I think a time and a place, recognizing when it might be a good time to bring them in. Um, for me, it might be I would like to bring my team in when I need to drive a bit more maybe energy and also have them brainstorm together. So maybe I want them to kind of work together more instead of just like the coach coaching and players kind of um, taking part in the session on the field. If I bring my group together, then I can say, okay, give yourself three minutes or two minutes, have a chat. What do you think's working? What's going well? What can we improve? And then they start getting that little bit of interaction. Okay, let's go back on the field now. Let's try and put that in place. That's kind of where I would how I would set that up, um, but again, to be doing that every break or every interval of rest, um, I'm, I wouldn't be a fan of it just because you're losing that engagement and painting the actual picture. I think I agree with you on that one. Let me ask you about coaching individuals and then things like coaching in the flow or pulling them out of a session or how you how you kind of how we how we can all get better at working with individuals. Yeah, it's, this is a massive one for me personally. Uh, something I need to, I've self-reflected on this the last, on my A actually. I realized that I wasn't coaching individuals enough. I was more looking at sessions like, I've got 18 players and I just need to make sure I'm delivering a good session to the players. Like the topic, building from the back. The, the specifics and the details for each player and just kind of really making sure I'm coaching everybody it can get stressful because obviously you've got 18 players, for example, you want to try and coach every single player. So they go away and they feel like they've been coached. Obviously, if you're working from, on building from the back and your main focus is the goalkeeper and the back four, then how do you still engage the other players and make, make them feel like when they leave the session, they've actually been coached and they've learned stuff. So I think for me, um, the ways you can do that are obviously you can pull players out of the session quickly and just have little conversations or, Again, you could guide them with questions or you could say, hey, next time you get the ball, maybe look for your option with your six or just little ideas. Um, and then coaching in the flow, coaching individuals in the flow. Um, I think an important piece of that is giving specific feedback to players. So whether it's positive reinforcement. So, for example, if I'm coaching you, Lee, and you make a, a fantastic run up the field, and you put a cross in the box, rather than just saying... Lee, that was awesome. Good job. You're like, well, what was, what was awesome about it? What was good about it? So 
Lee, I love the way that you dribbled up the line and put a perfect cross into the back post. So you're like, okay, so my coach liked the fact that I put the ball back post and my, I drove into space, so the way I dribbled was good. So I think just trying to always remind myself to do that as well, I think that's a big part as well for the individual coaching. I love that your example was a positive too, that the old idea from, from the late and great Tony DeChico of catch them being good. And often we see coaching as a, as a way of correcting and, and making people better by fixing mistakes. And the example you gave is a perfect situation that I don't think enough coaches maybe recognize or it's expected that a player dribbles down the line and puts a ball into the back post. But you're right. If we catch them being good, when we say, that's a brilliant dribble, I love the way you did that. That's so reinforcing for an individual. Definitely, yeah. Definitely reinforcing. And then another way you can do it is asking a question. Um, maybe, you, maybe you don't quite get the cross that you want. So you say, okay, Lee, um, what happened with the cross there? Oh, I, I tried to hit back close and I kind of I mishit it. Um, okay, well, what can you do next time? Oh, I could get under the ball more. I could use the inside of my foot to curl the ball in, or just asking you questions to then for then and you have the answers and then okay, check in for understanding that you understand what you could have done. So next time, let's try and execute that. I learned a really cool technique at the um, coaches convention in January in Baltimore, and the idea of hot and cold feedback. And maybe you've heard of it. I I haven't done it yet, and I'm interested to know if you have or if you know of anyone that does. So the idea of hot feedback and this comes with a bit of technology typically too where you're able to film and I do filming on my phone as much as I can too so I'm filming a player dribbling down the line crossing the ball in and then I'll ask them hot feedback live on video I'll put the camera in their face as soon as they've done it and say what did you see there what did you think what happened and then after the session and that's all I ask them just get their feedback then after the session it's called cold feedback in the you go up to the same player and if this is a significant part of your practice and probably is why you filmed it anyway, of then saying, watch this video of what you did and then give me your feedback and then reflect on the hot feedback that you gave me and then the cold feedback. And the idea is that there's some emotion in there too and then really helping to reinforce what a player is or is not seeing. Have you ever heard of that? Ever, ever done anything like that? I haven't heard of the term hot and cold. I like it actually. It's, it's, it makes sense in terms of you know, in the moment, giving the feedback. And then, again, we kind of talk about self. You're basically self-reflecting, right? Because you're self-reflecting and then also watching it and having time to breathe and look at the scenario or the situation you're in. Um, I really like that. I think, um, you know, yeah, it just kind of removes you from that emotion mm. of the game. So whether you're a player or even when we're coaching games, you know, um, when I'm doing my game analysis of my, of my, my girls team and I watch the game after, there's moments throughout the game where I'm like in the emotional side, doing the emotion side of the game, I saw it completely this way, but then I watch it after, which would be the cold feedback to myself from the video is actually, our shape actually was quite good in that situation or that moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> that poor left back who was standing next to you yeah. because she's the closest player to you on the sideline is getting berated. And she's I'm actually like, in a good position. Like you need to tuck in, you need to tuck in, tuck in. <laughs> and then you watch your back and you're like, actually, the position was pretty good, you know? Um, so I think from, from, yeah, I think that's, that's a, an interesting, interesting psychologically and, and like you said, emotionally as well, removing yourself from um, the game, the, the, the live situation. 
So another tool that I use and something that isn't really shared all that much is the idea of writing things down. So do you, do you write notes during training? Do you write notes during a game? Do you reflect on those notes? So, I mean, I think we all have this photographic memory of games and remembering specific moments of shouting at the left back to tuck in and then seeing it again and remembering vividly that that player was actually in a good position compared to what I believe. But the value of writing notes and then do you use that or do you, you what's your kind of advice or guidance for coaches when, when looking at, I think mainly to stop them shouting some of the nonsense that they shout. And I mentioned this before that I had a game just before all of this situation happened and the coach was yelling sprint, sprint and run, sprint and run, get the ball. And that's one of those perfect moments where somebody is just, is so passionate and so driven for this player to, to sprint and run at the same time that I think if you have a notebook or you have something that you can, you can direct that passion into it stops you maybe a sounding silly, but then also refraining from giving verbal nonsense to your players. Yeah. Um, I think for note making, I'll start with training sessions. I think obviously, yeah, it's, it's good to make notes in training sessions. I think we tend as coaches and myself included, like I don't, I don't make as many notes in training sessions as I do as games. Yeah, because a lot of your energy and your thought and your focus is on um, making sure the session is flowing and you're supporting the player. So I think I, I would tend to make notes more, obviously before when I plan on my session during a training session, and then after reflecting on the session. Um, you have your session plan, hopefully when you're training, and, and you have your notes there. You can add things to it. I think a big one is during games. So um, a thing is. You want to look for themes. You want to look for common themes um, and trends. I think trends is a better word. So during a game, what are the trends during the game? So if you sit down and watch a game and then first five minutes or three minutes, something happens that you don't like, that breaks down and you'll just scrub the notes down like, oh, this is my, my number four is not doing this and my number six is not doing this. The game's been going on for five minutes. So I think watching the game for trends and being being calm and composed because again we go back to the emotional side you're gonna you're gonna get worked up emotionally in the game you're just gonna start like watching the ball and not watching off the ball so i think um just watching for those trends and um sticking to two or three clear concise coaching points for half time and understand that your coaching obviously depend on the age of coaching so um, I, I work with the, for example, when I coach in my U14 girls team, making sure the language and the communication is appropriate for that age, keeping it clear, keeping it concise, um, not going over three major points because then it's too much information to take in. Um, and for me, one thing I learned actually from the A license, uh, one of the instructors was talking about um, not really focusing on notes at the start of the game, kind of jotting them down right before the halftime. So when you start seeing those trends, making notes, but gathering yourself before halftime, kind of gathering yourself for a few minutes before the whistle goes to kind of say, okay, what, what do I want to get across to my team? And what are the points I want to make? Rather than scribbling stuff down the whole half and then being frantic. So just kind of calming yourself down before, especially before the halftime talk. And the last piece on that would be, you've got your notes, but then 
you have to have the player engagement, you have to have the involvement. So allowing them to chat amongst themselves and discuss kind of what they see on the field because they have answers too and you don't have all the answers. They're on the field experiencing it. So also giving them an opportunity to express what they've seen on the field as well. The, the idea of just being set up. So talk about being able to take notes and a shameless plug for Ductic Brand because I use their, their notebooks and they're just quality pieces of material to use for writing and having there's a little soccer diagram in in the in the trainer book that i use and so i'm able to show players and then i also use the soccer innovations tactic board and the same thing i can put the tactics board out for my end of for my players and say here is and i do the same thing with a trend i've written this down in my book and here's a trend and now show me how we deal with that and then to go back to the idea of keywords the, the idea of having a language that makes sense for your individuals so that when you say step or when you say switch or when you say press or whatever these key words that coaches like to say, do the players truly understand that? And I think that comes through the structure of having a quality environment that replicates what the game looks like. So it's not panic, it's not frantic, it's not wild, it's not aimless shouting, but it's a structured and, like you said, a composed environment where you're able to actually non, I don't want to say non-passionately, I don't even know if that's a way to structure the word, but a way of removing the, the excitement and the passion and the sprint and run from it to a way that challenges players in a way that they are familiar with. Yeah, sure, yeah. Um, what, what you said about the communication and the, the key words and using the consistent communication is huge. Um, something that I'm const- constantly trying to work on, just making sure everyone's, we're using the same words from, practice the game and um, just so players are familiar with that but I think that's a, a really good point um, and then the emotional side is it okay to show emotion I think it, I think it's okay to show emotion right because it shows that you like you're in, you care about the game and you want to you know you're on the field and you want to win the game you want to do well you want to have success so emotion is fine but when your emotion takes takes over the actual coaching and being and being calm and getting your point across to the point where you're just basically just yelling. And I think that's with the balance. That's the balance. And that's something for me personally, I'm not super like, as you will know from, from spending time with me on the B and I'm not like a super loud and, you know, I can be kind of laid back, but I think it's understanding your personality and working within your personality and understanding that that's your personality. And it's okay now and again to go out of it and kind of be a bit more maybe demanding and louder, but then, Ultimately, you want to compose yourself and and give good, concise information to the players. I think if you even go back to understanding the individuals that you're working with, talk about IDPs and the value of knowing a player personally and then also in terms of the game, knowing what they need from you too because some players need a, need a, just a little thumbs up to know that they're doing okay or a little bit of guidance and then some others need a, need a yell at them sometimes and a, and a little reminder. So really knowing what your players need, which is going to lead me into the idea of more about a training session and to wrap up the kind of the toolbox discussion of coaching in the flow or kind of coaching in the stop and freeze moments, really kind of, I guess, more or less managing those two and where you see perhaps most of the success or a structure that's going to help you for having success in both, both tools. Yeah, I think you've got to assess the session. So, um, you know, we could go down, we could talk about periodization, which is another whole, you know, 
conversation <laughs> a conversation about where you are in your periodization in terms of what day of the week it is. I think that drives how you're going to coach because obviously work rest ratio, how long do you have, how intense do you want the session to be? Um, is it a session where you're just kind of just going to let them play and, and explore and enjoy the game? And, or is it a session where it's maybe um, preparing for a game? So then, for example, in that session, it's okay to be standing around a bit more because you don't want to be, um, you don't want it to be an intense session. So, but I think in general, just balancing, understanding that the game needs to flow and, you know, you're there, let's say you're there for a practice for an hour and a half. You know, you want your players to be playing for most of that time and, and moving and involved the session. So just reading the balance. So for, I'll give you an example. If I step in and I feel like the team really needs some guidance or some information or coaching on um, maybe it's building through midfield or possession in the midfield. Um, I, I step in, I do a, a freeze, a demonstration, you know, rehearse, recreate, restart. And that's okay. Um, you know, if that takes 60 seconds, 90 seconds, I've gone in, I've coached. Now, if I go back out and I step away and then I go back in two minutes later and I do exactly the same thing, the problem now is I've lost, I've lost the flow of the session. Yeah. And like you said, you know, there's a skill in itself in terms of when you step in, making sure everybody's involved in the actual coaching points. Um, but I think that's an important part is just reading, reading the session and understanding what you've done and how it's affecting the player behavior and the psychology of the player. So then maybe you, if you've stepped in and done a demonstration and a freeze, now maybe you start coaching the flow now, okay, and checking for understanding within the flow and just finding that balance between the two or whatever you're using from the coach's toolbox. So if you are, and here's my, my thought process on this, if I am saying to my players ahead of time, here is what the session looks like, it might require less stop and freeze because I don't have to paint the picture as much. So where, I guess that's, that's an idea, but then also where do you stand or what's your opinion or thoughts on the idea of setting up a session, whether you introduce it beforehand or not, and then saying it's a 5v5, you score here, you score there, play. Versus saying, it's a 5v5, you score here, you score there. Blue team, I want you to play in a 2-3, and I want the red team to play in a 1-2-1, a 1-3-1. And I want you to and really set it up versus just kind of go play. Do you, do you have an opinion or a style on that in terms of, and I think going back to the idea of the need for stop and freeze or coaching in the flow, maybe setting it up to avoid one or the other, if that makes sense in the question? Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, like if you just have them 5v5, let's say you've got 20 players, two small solid games, 5v5, two fields, you just have them play. Um, if you don't preface it with any sort of topic, maybe you just say, okay, enjoy it, play with intensity, then um, they're going to love it. First of all, kids are just going to love it because they're playing, but I think they're going to be brainstorming and they're going to be thinking a lot because they're going to have to what's one of the main things they're going to have to do? They're going to have to work together as a team, figure out how they're going to play. Right. So they're going to have to communicate and there's that leadership side of it where you might, you know, you might not be defending just like the B license when you, you wouldn't defend. <laughs> in, the, in, the coach, in the coach's game, in the coach's game. So I might say, Lee, you're bombing on, you're going forward every time. Uh, we need you to hold more because I, I want to go forward as well. So just like 
you know, little little parts there in terms of the team bonding and the communication side. They're just they're just enjoying the game and and they can learn from each other. And then coaching in the flow and maybe just giving them some points to say, hey guys, what do you think of your defensive shape right now? They might say, Oh, we're not getting back quick enough, we're not compact enough. Excellent. Let's see if we can do that now in the next five minutes. So just those quick little moments in the flow uh, is 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 fine. Um, then obviously and that's such a skill to too, right? So to be able to read and observe and understand what's going on in that game, in that moment, what you are trying to achieve and whether the players are working towards it. Because if it's, I think if it's unstructured, it could be a real waste of time. And if you only have two sessions a week or three sessions a week for an hour and a half, you've got three sessions as four and a half hours to work with these individuals and you may see it as a waste of time if you're saying all right go play and then i'm having to spend 30 minutes introduce the 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 structure or introduce formations or introduce a certain style of play or a certain part of a game model yeah i think you know during a game is always objectives right they're trying to score you're trying to defend i think um just making sure that you know, it's in line with what your style of play is or, like you said, your game model and how you want the, your team to play. So um, I think, again, we could we could talk for, like, hours about how there's certain sessions, for example, where your team will show up and you can just, you're reading the body language of the players and you're reading kind of what the environment is and the, the atmosphere is of the team. Like, if you just had a hard, you know, tough weekend and then you come to your next session on a Tuesday maybe it's a good time just to let them play and enjoy it and not think about the game too much because it's just the overload of like, oh, it's just stressful. Like we're always doing a topic, we're always... So you do want to you do want to coach them and you want them to continue learning. But that, again, there's, there's certain times where I've had my teams where you just show up and, and you can, you're watching them in the warm, you're like, this might not be a good session. <laughs> we're not pressing today. <laughs> so, but then again, then you could argue, you know, is that your job? It is your job as a coach to to make sure that you are still able to engage those players, even though you're looking at them saying, you know, that's that balance of, do you just kind of let it go? Or do you say, no, 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 we're doing this. Like, this is the topic. Like, you're going to listen. And I'm going to try and make you... So that's the whole psychosocial, psychology side of it then is, you know, reading that side of it. So it's... There's so many ways that you're able to connect with your players and able to connect and create an environment that challenges your individuals. And I think the true value in this, this section of the conversation in terms of the toolbox is being to show that there are so many ways that you can connect with your players, that you can challenge them. And whether it's the old school coaching method of stop, stand still, why did you do that? Move the ball back here. Why didn't you play over there? Versus the idea of coaching in the flow or something like a hot and cold feedback moment and demonstrations. There are so many tools that coaches can use. And like you said early on, there's only one way to get better at doing them, and that's with practicing. And even as an instructor and an A license candidate slash holder, and myself with an A license too, these are still things that I'm still improving as well. And the letter on on the on the certificate that we have doesn't mean that we're good at all of these moments. It might mean that we have a different understanding or a, or a higher level. You might even say maybe, but based on my lack of defending, you might say no. However, the ability to to challenge yourself or the the openness to challenge yourself, I think, is what's really important for a coach. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Like you said. 
the learning doesn't stop, you know, regardless of what, what license you got or where you're at, you know, you should always be looking to improve and, and be honest and self-reflect on what you need to improve on. Um, you go back to the coach's toolbox, like I need to improve on every single one, you know, like every single part of it. There's certain ones that I really think I need to zone in on. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's a huge part. Just, it's so, it's complex. It's so complex. You know, you've got, you know, um, there's a lot of stuff out there now, good stuff on the psych social side and, you know, the getting players engaged, creating buy-in and how that, how that affects your delivery of your coaching points. So there's just so many things that, you know, we're trying to, to learn and improve at that I don't think you can say, okay, yeah, this is what you need to do. Like, right. this is a session and you need to just freeze. Like, every time you go in, you freeze. You can't do that. It's, it's like I said earlier on, the skill is, for me, is choosing the right one at the right time. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the skill, is what's the best thing to use right now in the situation. So let's shift gears and start wrapping up in terms of what it is that coaches can be doing right now. So we talk about this this strange time we're in and coaches missing from, from their daily lives of being on the field. Now, you and I have both been involved in some education and I guess kind of share what you're doing, where you're turning to, to find this information that you deem valuable, kind of what's, what's your pathway over the next couple of months before you can really get back on the field. What are you, what are you working on? What are you getting involved in? Um, so um, there's multiple resources obviously now, um, with technology, it's excellent. I think things I'm doing, podcasts, uh, podcasts, obviously I'm on one now, um, <laughs> but podcasts every day. I think um, I, we, we were talking about off camera, off, off um, early on, uh, we were talking about, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and um, kind of an overload. I was listening to loads of stuff, watching lots of webinars and it's great. Uh, I just think that you need to kind of take a step back and just what, you know, where does it apply to you? Um, picking and choosing kind of things that you want to, you can learn from everything, but I think it's taking a moment, things that little bits of information that you could apply in your environment and things that you want to get better at. So um, definitely lots of podcasts listening, usually in the morning for me, just putting one on and kind of there's, a, there's various different ones that I've been listening to. Um, obviously heads and volleys. Um <laughs> Good plug, I like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, modern, modern soccer coach, uh, Gary Kearneen, I've been listening to that a lot. Um, the Sports Psych Show, Dan Abrahams, probably the three main ones for me, and then there's some other ones as well. Great, there's lots of good ones out there I've been listening to. Um, and then your webinars, it's obviously in this situation, it's been, it's been awesome, like lots of, you know, uh, organizations and have been com- coming forward and doing free webinars. Um which I've been logging on to a lot and um, I think making notes on those as well. So I haven't just been watching them and just watching the webinar and going away. I've actually been sat down as, a, as if I'm in a lecture almost and just kind of going, okay, and, and putting notes down and writing notes on my computer about real takeaways that I wanted or I liked. So uh, I'd say webinars, uh, books, reading books. Um, I don't think they necessarily have to be pure soccer related. I think they can be on leadership. They can be on other things, other areas, just reading, keeping your, your, your mind going and you're thinking. Um, and you're making a good point there too, actually, to the, 
the idea of not not having to study soccer all the time. And I do the same thing too. I go and get books from a local library, actually. It's awesome. And I read one about changing the age of your brain by Dr. Daniel Amen and the idea that the way, the things that you eat, the things that you are doing to your body and to your life that can help your brain be younger and increase your longevity. And whilst that's nothing to do with the X's and O's of soccer, if you think about the stress that a coach puts themselves under when they're running around from field to field or they feel like they're always dealing with emails or always available, all, all of these things that people stress themselves out with, it's one of the number one killers in people. And so when you take time like this where you've got no choice but to be inactive and you're not running around and doing all those crazy things that you were doing before you're reading on this content that offers just something a little different than why you would counter press in these moments or why you would do x y and z with wingers that you there's so much that you can take away from times like this and i was part of a conversation last night with a guy who just said he feels overwhelmed right now he doesn't feel like a doesn't feel a motivation to study soccer right now or talk about soccer is falling out of love with it, you might say right now, but there's so much that you can do for personal growth that doesn't require you to become study, studying soccer constantly, but actually you can learn so much about yourself and which will ultimately, I think, benefit anything that you do in life, whether it's coaching or not, that you can become so much better in times like these. Yeah, I think that was a great point to finish on. I think like using the time to do things that you couldn't do before maybe in the in the regular soccer schedule, which is a lot of traveling and a lot of time. You know, we have our official time at the field, but we have so much time when we're driving or traveling or doing things. And then we get back and we're tired. We get home and we're like, oh, I want to do that. So I think for me, I've been doing stuff that, um, using the time to say, okay, I don't read as much as I should. So I'm going to read a lot. Like there's no excuse now. Like I've got time to read. Yeah. So read plenty of stuff. And like you said, it doesn't have to be on soccer. Um, making sure my, I've got a schedule, I, I'm sleeping well and I'm training, I'm keeping myself physically active. Um, and then the last piece I would just want to talk about would be just conversations with, with colleagues and coaches and family and just speaking a lot to people and keeping in touch and connecting to people is, is massive because, um, again, we've got time and, you know, we're all like, we're all at home. You know, most of us are at home, so, you know, we haven't got excuses you know, with regards to, oh, I can't speak to you today. Well, I know you're home, so let's have a chat. Oh, so I'm I think, busy. sorry. <laughs> as long as you're not doing a podcast, but you're not on like a team Zoom training session, in a, you know, in the evening, then I think just conversations with your friends and coaches, maybe just pick up your phone, your phone and call a coach that you look up to or somebody that you've worked with and just catch up and kind of create that connection and network in that way as well. I think it's a perfect time for that. The coaching community is definitely an open one. People are more than happy to spend time talking about soccer or about life, especially when you've made a, a connection with someone from somewhere along the way. But I think that's great advice. So, Chris, how do people connect with you? How do they follow what you're doing? How do they follow what you're reading or what you're listening to? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter. Um, so my Twitter is chrismrogers 11 at Chris M. Rogers 11. So I'm, I've, I haven't been on Twitter for that long, but I am a bit more active on it now. So obviously there's lots of good coaching stuff on there. Um, so you can follow me there on Twitter. Um, that's pretty much it right now. Um, I am on Instagram as well. Um, Seattle Elite Soccer on Instagram is my training page. Um, haven't been as active as I should be on there, but I am also on there as well. So um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So, you know, if anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. 
Um, yeah, that's it pretty much, mate. Um, Chris, this is awesome. Thank you for your time, mate. I really appreciate the the conversation and the the idea of exploring your own experience into what you're passing on to the next generation of coaches and, and the coaches coming up through the ranks. So thank you for your commitment to growing the game from, from a side that no one really sees that there's often a lot of focus on individuals and the players developing, but coaches are really the foundation and the backbone of the game. So thank you for your time on that. Oh, awesome. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, I think this, the podcast is awesome. I've listened to, to all the episodes and um, it was an honor to be on here and, I hope, I hope the coaches listening, you know, even if you just take away one or two things that might help you with your coaching journey, then that would be great. But yeah, appreciate your time and uh, it was fun. Cheers. A huge thank you to Chris for joining me today because of his experience and now sitting on both sides really of the education pathway in terms of taking the A license and also being an instructor. It's really interesting to grasp his opinions, not only from where he came from and, and how that shaped his pathway, but what he does now in terms of educating and challenging individuals the same way that he's clearly challenging himself. So a huge thank you to Chris, a huge thank you to you for listening. I would love if you share this. I'd love if you give me a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and more coming from Heads and Bollies real soon. <laughs>